Welcome to Dinner It's to our third episode. I am your host, Brandon, and Chase is with me again this week. Say hello, Chase. How you doing, everybody? Thanks for having me back. We are a sports podcast that talks sports, sports gambling, and fantasy football. Each podcast, we give you four unique stats. Some are meant to be informative, some are meant to blow your mind, maybe even controversial, and others are just conversation starters. We have just finished week four of the NFL season. It was another controversial week for refs who badly missed a call in Seattle that cost Detroit the game. And it was a week where kickers missed kick after kick, costing their respective team wins. Hopefully we don't choke under pressure this week like they did. Uh, in this podcast, we were talking about what team is the most disappointing team in the NFL. I'm going to convince you that Calvin Johnson is no longer an elite fantasy wide receiver. And of course, we will give you our DraftKings lineups for week five as well as a unique breakdown of an NFL game Sunday for the degenerates and all of us. The final period will belong to Chase as it always has, but first, let's get his thoughts on the weekend we just had. Uh, week, week four was another crazy week in the NFL. Uh, we did see a lot of things going on between kickers missing kicks and officials missing, missing calls on big plays. Also, I wanted to talk about the Bears. The Bears are having a fire sale. This is not common in the NFL. Generally, it's something that happens in the MLB where teams are trying to dump talent. And it looks like the Bears are trying to dump talent. Last week, they got rid of Jared Allen and also their best linebacker, uh, John Bostick. Also, from what I've also heard, is that Matt <clears throat> Matt Forte is currently on the trading block also. He'll be a free agent after this year. Uh, I think he's owed $7 million this year. And they're looking probably to move him. I'm pretty sure a trade of Matt Forte could really swing some of the power in the NFL. For example, if the Cowboys got a hold of him, I think they just lost a running back this weekend, but if they were able to add Matt Forte, a dual threat running back to their offense that is struggling with injuries, I think that could have a big swing on what goes on in the NFL. Yeah, especially how we talked about the NFC is always up. seems like it's up for grabs each and every week. Uh, Forte could definitely be a different maker when it comes down to it. Certainly. So I really don't know what's going on. Um, this summer they got this summer they got rid of Brandon Marshall. And they don't really look into re-signing people. I'm sure they're going to probably cut ties with Jay Cutler sooner or later. It just has been a bad marriage for a while now. And I really don't know where they're heading. I guess they're going to try to tank it a little bit so they can land them a quarterback in the upcoming draft. But I don't really know who in college football is prepared to come and take over NFL franchise and change things. Yeah, I'm not sure what the long-term plan is either. Um, I'm trying to pull up their salary cap, and it does look like they only had about five million dollars left as cap space this year could so it could be strictly financial and let's not forget they do play in a pretty tough division they're not going to win the division with Aaron Rodgers so they're basically competing with the rest of the NFC for a wild card spot and quite frankly even if they had everybody I'm not sure if they're talented enough to get it done yeah I don't think they'll beat out Aaron Rodgers at all either oh man their division has been a little disappointing also since we're talking about disappointments this week we are going to discuss who the most disappointing uh, team in the NFL this week. So that leads me to my question for you, Chase. Who do you think is the biggest disappointment in the NFL this year? Well, Brandon, I would have to say the most disappointing team to me this year would have to be the Philadelphia Eagles. And you have a hard time arguing otherwise. Um, Chip Kelly finally got full control of the roster this summer. He made some very questionable moves getting rid of Shady McCoy, which Philly fans loved and also was one of the most dynamic running backs in the NFL. Also, he made some major moves by bringing over DeMarco Murray and also signing ex-member of the Legion of Doom, Byron Maxwell. Maxwell has been getting toasted all year. He's single, he is single-handedly the reason why they lost 
game one, uh, Julio Jones basically tore him apart on the deep ball. Also, DeMarco Murray, that story um, is to be continued in all honesty. He's crying for the ball, but even still when they give him the ball, he's not effective. Uh, their offense is down this year. I think the NFL has definitely caught on to the Oregon, a.k.a. spread offense. And I think everyone in the NFL is fast compared to in college football. You know, you have the best recruits versus four-star recruits, best versus three-star recruits. In the NFL, everybody is a five-star recruit if you're comparing them to a college player. Stat one. If you just look at the offensive numbers, uh, we can look at this stat here. They're... Offense is down, their scoring is down 36% compared to the previous year. Also, if you look at the yards gain, they're down 26% from the previous year. That's the biggest drop-off in the NFL compared to any teams. And there's a lot of teams that had good offense and they're struggling, but Philadelphia was known for their offense and they're struggling horribly this year. Just looking at the weapons that they have and Darren Sproles looks like the only person on their team that can actually produce numbers. Uh, for the team that they can actually depend on. So I really don't know what's going to actually happen. They are in a division where they may be able to make some things happen this year, but I'm really not sure. Uh, my, my prediction on this season, which is kind of a bold one, is that they'll probably miss the play playoffs, and I think they might end up parting ways with DeMarco Murray, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they decide to cut their losses now, wave them, and DeMarco goes back home to Dallas. Wow. I mean, that would be pretty shocking, and the one thing I can't wait to see if that does happen is the Eagles fans reaction because they are probably one of the most vocal fan bases in the NFL. Um, a lot of the, the moves that Chip Kelly made before the season, the Eagles fans were already dis uh, making their displeasures known. So it just seems like he, Chip Kelly has so much added pressure on him to perform and he hasn't performed at all. Uh, the stat you gave about the Denver, excuse me, about the Philadelphia Eagles having the mo the largest drop off in offense and points and scoring is shocking because so much has been made about the Denver Broncos offense and Peyton Manning struggles and how they can't move the ball. But yet the drop off for Philadelphia has been more significant. Well, what I've always been told, and this is from uh, I've had some former friends that used to play in the NFL also talk to college coaches and also high school coaches. They always say when you bring something new and it gets put on tape, then the defensive coordinator is going to figure it out. Just think about the Wildcat a couple of years ago. The Wildcat took the NFL by storm. They were putting their running back at quarterback, and they were literally um, Miami Dolphins, literally, I believe, ran, won almost four games using the Wildcat offense in certain packages. And I think the spread offense that he's using is the same thing. And also with the spread offense, you can't, you can't have your quarterback left out there blind running the read option. A DN is basically going to annihilate them. And we all know quarterbacks in the NFL cannot take hits. Yeah, and uh, I guess that could be true. And if it is, if that is the case that Chip Kelly's offense has just been solved, I guess I was wrong when he came into the NFL. I was actually really excited to see what he would be able to do because I didn't see it as gimmicky as something like the Wildcat. I just thought it was offense evolving to another level. So if it is the case that defensives just have it on tape now and have it figured out, then I, I was wrong and Chip Kelly may want to start looking at other jobs. You might be right, and I, I'm pretty sure that if he goes back to college, he can get any job he wants. He probably can yeah. also get another job in the NFL, in all honesty. Um, the teams are exciting to watch, and the way his offense plays is exciting and it has been exciting in the past, let me say. But this year, it's just 
It's just been dismal. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing exciting to watching a player get hit behind the line and scrimmage repeatedly. And it seems like the offensive line and the play of those guys have really been the difference between this year and last year. Uh, But to me, coaching can really be seen in how you start a game. It's motivation. It's how you have plenty of time to practice even your first couple of plays. But it's the, the beginning of the game is a time where coaching can really set the tone for the rest of the game. So for my most disappointing team, I'm going to take the Dolphins, who have been outscored 31 to 3 in the first quarter. Um in the world of sports, money doesn't always produce results, but when you sign record-breaking deals like $114 million to sue, it, it creates expectations. And the Miami Dolphins were expected not only contend in the AFC East, but really for the Super Bowl. There was a highly publicized study by Harvard grads that used pro football-focused approximate value statistic. And what that tries to do is assign a value to each player based on skill. And it had Miami Dolphins as the most talented and deepest team in the NFL. Which leads us to our second stat of the night. Fantasy football. Miami spent $216 million this offseason, and yet the team is losing by 9 points per game. Sue has yet to record a sack. The rushing defense is dead last in the NFL. Miami are also dead last in the NFL in sack percentage, getting to opposing QBs to less than 1% of the passing plays. And then you have Tannehill, who technically makes more than Sue in dollars per year. He just signed a four-year $77 million deal, and he's leading to this team to just 16 points per game, and he's completing just 56% of his passes. So it's really hard to get more, more disappointing than that, but then you say they lost to Jacksonville. It's so bad you can't pinpoint a single problem with Miami. It's not just the run game. It's not just the offense. It's every phase of the game. And it's why they are losing by more than nine points a game. And I, I I hate to see a coach fired in the middle of the season, but I really think that this was the right move for this team because they just have so much talent and they have been underperforming. I agree with you there. That's another team that is underperforming in the NFL. Let's just stick with the, with the coaching theme and talk about their staff. I never really trusted the Dolphins staff. I believe they were on hard, knock, hard knocks a couple of years ago. As you see, I'm a advocate for the hard knock show. But I never really trusted their coach. Just think about it. A couple of years ago, we had the Richie Incognito situation. That situation where they had one player basically terrorizing a locker room. Under the same coaching staff, and the general manager did not make any changes. All they did was suspend and then eventually waive that individual. Also, just a couple of years ago, they had another coach trip a player on the sideline. These type of things start at the front office, start with the coaching staff. It's unacceptable. If the coaches can't behave, if the coaches can't control the locker room, what do you expect for the players to do? They're all grown men. So if you can't lead by example, those grown men will not follow you because at one point, all of those people were leaders in their life. They were all star players on their team. So if they don't ha- if they don't see leadership qualities in you and they already know what a leader should look like, they're definitely not going to follow you. And I think that's probably the biggest issue that's going on in Miami. Yeah, that's actually really well said. I, I Philbin seems like a nice enough guy, and a, a lot of reports are the executives liked him, but he wasn't getting it done. It's clear he wasn't inspiring a team. He wasn't leading these guys to victory and challenge. As the new coach has said, it, it didn't seem like he was challenging them on a personal level. Uh, Mid-season firings are still pretty rare. I did some digging and saw that since 2000, only 23 coaches have been fired mid-season. Uh, the record before being fired 
of these teams was 59 and 129. Afterwards, it's 52 and 91. The teams seem to perform a little bit better, but there hasn't been a single team that has reached the playoffs when they fired a coach end season, which really isn't that surprising, at least in the modern day NFL. The right move may have been to fire Philbin, but at the same time, it does seem like they've thrown in the towel on the year by doing that. Absolutely. I agree with you there 100%. Uh, after you go through training camp, you go to war with these guys, you spend all summer preparing with these individuals, you're getting your roster together, you're getting your schemes together. And once you are willing to fire the coach that went through all those things in the middle of the season, Basically, you're throwing in the towel and you're looking forward to next year. Yeah, and I, I do think this team, if they can keep everybody together, does have something to look forward to. They have a lot of talent. I, I like the wide receiver Landry a lot. I'm looking forward to seeing what Parker can do in the NFL. Um, they seem to have all the pieces, obviously, Sue. And um, who's the other pass rusher on the Dolphins? Wake. Yeah, Wake. And Wake has was really impressive in the years prior to Sue's arrival, and you would think that he would only get better with Sue being able to demand double teams. It just hasn't happened. But that's enough for that. Let's get into some fantasy football talk. Fantasy football talk. Sure, let's go ahead and talk about fantasy. Every week we talk about who had a breakout game. Uh, I was going to talk about Todd Gurley, which he got 30 carries last year and had a Great had a great game on Sunday, but I actually wanted to look at his teammate. We always give you a running back or someone to look at, but let's look at the wide receiver position. Tavon Austin had a big game. Um, he's a specialist where he actually returns kicks. Also, he plays in the slot, and he's one of those speedster wide receivers. He was a first-round draft pick. And Tavon Austin scored two touchdowns last week, 96 yards with six receptions, basically meaning that all of his plays were basically big plays and also led his team to a victory. So far, Tavon Austin has four touchdowns on the year. That's pretty productive. That's actually more than Calvin Johnson. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Calvin Johnson. It leads us into our third stat. Stat three. Calvin Johnson has averaged 20.2 fantasy points over the last five seasons in PPR leagues. Yet he's just scoring 14.63 points per game this year. And this is in a sudden drop off. Although 17 points uh, per game is a respectable number for last year, it's still a four-plus point drop-off from 2013. And if you add another three-point drop from this year, that means he's averaging less than seven points a game from the one he did in 2013, which was just two years ago. Which kind of begs the question, at what point does this become a trend? Sometimes numbers don't, sometimes numbers do lie, and sometimes they don't. But I don't think they're lying here. You can argue that it's Stafford or the offensive line, but I really think it's the 30-year-old Calvin Johnson that has lost a step. And at his size, he doesn't need great speed, but he just doesn't seem like the same Megatron to me. He doesn't seem like a a cyborg who transforms. And if he does, it sounds like his metal may be a little creaky and rusty. I would still like my chances if, if it was a jump ball in the end zone, but I would like 2013 Calvin Johnson much more. And I don't want to be one of those people where an athlete's fantasy production determines their on-the-field worth, because Calvin is a Hall of Famer and one of the best ever at wide receivers. From a fantasy perspective, I would have to say he's overvalued and downward trending. And I hate to see the deterioration of a superstar, And what I, but what I hate even more is when I don't see, see it coming. Because this is a fantasy perspective, I have to say there are better wide receivers for his cough or, or draft spot. 
Do you agree with that, Chase? Yes and no. I don't want to sit on the fence. I would probably say I think, in all honesty, Calvin numbers are going to start to increase. It looks like Calvin has accepted a different role so far this year with the emergence of Golden Tate. Golden Tate generally looks like the deep ball, ball wide receiver, and Calvin is now using his size and his speed to play to catch underneath routes, which is helping them move the chains because they don't have a running game, so short passes help them move the chains. So his numbers aren't jumping out at you. Uh, but even still, he has, he'll have a game where he'll have seven or eight catches, and all of them are basically first down catches. That's what I like to call them, or Chris Carter catches, however you want to refer to them. But also, if you notice, when the game was on the line, Calvin Johnson caught the, I think it was about a 15-yard pass, and he would have scored if Cam Chancellor wouldn't have made such an amazing play. So Matthew Stanford, he knows where the gold is, and I think that he is not going to go away from Calvin Johnson. And I really think after what had occurred on Monday night that he might look for Calvin Johnson a little bit more because he showed that he still had it in him because Calvin basically did everything but win that game in the closing seconds. So, yes, he might be a little overvalued you right now, but I think he's going to start to earn his keep soon. Yeah, and I, Stafford hasn't been looking away from Calvin Johnson by any means. He still gets his targets. His his yards per catch are down significantly, about 9.4 yards a catch instead of his 12, 13 yards per catch we're used to seeing him. But it's, I don't think Golden Tate is really stealing his, his catches or targets. Uh, just pulling up Golden Tate's game-by-game stats... Uh, it doesn't look like Golden Tate's had a game more than six receptions, and that was only 80 yards. So, uh, for instance, against Seattle, he had three catches for 30 yards. So it's not like he's really stealing Calvin's opportunities. It just seems like they can't get the ball downfield to him as much. And there was a jump ball situation on Monday where he didn't come down with it, and I believe the old Calvin would. Maybe so, but he's always seeing cloud coverage. Of course, you're putting your best corner on him. You're always shifting your safety there. You're trying to jam him off of the line because of his size. Calvin has a lot of things going against him. But even still, I think as the season goes on, he will get better. And I think he will actually start earning those big games. Because at the end of the day, Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson only know one thing. And that's the bomb. Yeah, and that is true. I Again, my point is not how how good he is on the field and what he does for Detroit. It's just from a fantasy perspective. He does cost $7,400 on DraftKings, which is about the same cost as a Randall Cobb or Emmanuel Sanders, Keenan Allen, and Larry Fitzgerald. I just feel like for that money, I'd rather go with one of them. Uh, but with that said, let's go ahead and get into our alignments for this coming week. I guess it'll be week five. Uh, you did beat me last week. I had multiple players not starting because we did our lineup so early. Uh, so this week, when I, I do have somebody that's questionable, I'm actually going to give you an alternative in case he does not start. Uh, but I'll start it off. I'm going to go with a complete wild card as my quarterback this week. I'm going with Jameis Winston. All right. I'm sticking with what we just finished talking about. I actually have Matthew Stafford as my quarterback. I really think that he's ready, ready to let it fly after what happened on Monday night. Yeah, they don't seem to run the ball much at all, so you know he's going to get his passing opportunities. At running back, I have Carlos Hyde, who's playing the uh, New York Giants. I like his ability to gash them, who they really don't have much of a run defense. And I also really like Melvin Gordon against Pittsburgh. I think this is Melvin Gordon's breakout game. Uh, Who do you have a running back? Uh, For once, we're actually on the same page. I actually went out to Melvin Gordon also. 
Um, after you give a guy 30 carries, how can you not go back to him next week? You have to. One, 30 carries means I trust you. You're my guy. So I think they're going to go back to him. And then also Deion Lewis is back on the field after having a bye week. So I think Deion Lewis will have a good week for the Patriots this week. All right. Uh, I guess we'll both be rooting for Gordon on Sunday. Uh, we At wide receiver, I spent all my money on wide receivers, which seems to be the common theme for me. Uh, I went with Julio Jones. Just uh, Once again, he's the best in the world. And Washington's defense, I'm not really going to be scared. I need to check to see if Hall's out, but last I looked, he was he was out for this game. Um, I also spent money on Mike Evans. I'm teaming him up with James Jameis Winston and Jacksonville's lack of secondary. And I went with Julian Ed, Edelman because you can't ever go wrong with him and Tom Brady. All right. Once again, we're we're on the same page. Uh, wide receiver, I went for the best in the business. I got Julio Jones. I complimented him with Demarius Thomas. And then also Pierre, Pierre Garcon. Garcon, I also picked him up too after his breakout week last week. Yeah, I would maybe worry about Pierre a little bit. I believe Deshaun Jackson is questionable for this week. So if he plays, that could definitely steal some of his catches. Um, at tight end, I went with Antonio Gates, who's making his return to the Chargers. And I can tell you that Philip Rivers desperately missed him and will be targeting him a lot. Who do you have at tight end? At tight end, I have Jason Witten, the old faithful safety net. You can always count on Witten to get you a, at least four to five catches a game, and he's always going for first downs. Yeah, and I, I, I do like that pick. I'm um, Actually, I was a little bit worried the way our lineups were going that you would say Antonio Gates, so I'm glad you said somebody else. <laughs> uh, for my flex, I put in Carlos Williams, who is questionable. He's going through the concussion protocol right now. Um, if he does start, I think at $5,700 against Tennessee's uh, defense, that he's a must play. I, I liked how he looked early on, even though he didn't put up big fantasy numbers last week. But if not, um, let me pull up. I actually, oh, it's going to be uh, CJ Anderson is going to be the alternate. Uh, he has a whole lot to prove, and I, I like his matchup this week. Well, I don't have an alternate. I have this guy's guaranteed. I have Doug Martin. They're playing against Jacksonville. We all know what's going on in Jacksonville. The same things that's been going on for the last five years. And Doug Martin actually had a pretty good week last week. I think he produced uh, 22 points in the PPR league. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Doug Martin. I'm actually going to talk about him a little bit in the next segment. Uh, for my defense, I went with the Ravens for only $2,900. I thought it was the best defense for the price, uh, hosting Cleveland Browns at home. Uh, defense, I just went uh, just matchups. After watching Seattle's offense on Monday, I took whoever they were playing, which happens to be Cincinnati. <laughs> if they can only score 13 points, I'm pretty sure that it means that the defense will have some effect on them. And the Bengals' defense is actually pretty good. Uh, pretty good. It's a little bit of understatement, and I do like it. They're off a short week, and you're right. Seattle's offense was just atrocious. I, we, I feel like we could have spent a whole episode on how um, bad they looked that game in general with the the whole missed call and who who should win, what should the NFL should do. I, we could make a show about it, but I feel like our listeners have probably had enough of that talk with uh, ESPN and all that this week. With that said, that will be our fantasy lineups for week five. Uh, we'll see how we do. We have a lot of the same players, so it's going to be a little bit of margin, not much margin of error for us to see who comes out on top this week. All right, and every week we want to give you an against the spread winner, and that's what we're about to do right now. Uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks are set to host the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
And I don't want to say this is a rivalry, but neither team wants to be known as the worst NFL team in the state of Florida. Maybe the Miami Dolphins should be in this conversation, but no, I really believe the loser of this game will earn that title. This game means something to these guys who are separated by just 200 miles. The Bucks, who are 1-3 this season, are the definition of inconsistent. They've held the Texans and the Saints to 19 points per game, and then they allowed an average of 38 points per game to the Titans and Panthers. Offensively, the Bucks have averaged just 13 points per game in two contests, and then 24 points per game in the other two. Their opponent, Jacksonville, has held their 2015 opponents, not named the Patriots, to 19 points per game. And they should have beaten the Colts last week. We are seeing plus two and a half Jacksonville as a spread in this game. This is the smallest amount of points Jacksonville has been given on the road since 2011. Which that leads us to stat four. Stat four. The Jacksonville Jaguars are 4-22 straight up on the road since the start of the 2012 season. Their average spread in those road games is plus 10. And not once has the number been under 3 like we are seeing for Sunday. They are just a 500 team against the spread on the road over the span, but they usually have some give. To cover this game, they basically need to win outright on the road, something they've done just 16% of the time. Last year, their average spread on the road was 9.7 points a game, and yet they were outscored by 14 points per game in those road games. This team has no idea how to win on the road. They are coming off a mentally crushing defeat to the Colts and now have to travel. There's nothing to like trend here-wise about Jacksonville. Furthermore, there's a big matchup problem. The reason that anyone would think that the Jaguars are better this year is probably thinking that because of their defense. This is a team that still can't score. They're 31st in the NFL in points per game at just 15.5 points. They can't complete passes, ranking 31st in completion ratio. They've yet to score a rushing TD, and I'm not a big believer in Blake Bortles. His delivery is too big and long. He's not accurate enough on top of that. He's not an NFL starting quarterback in my mind. I don't think they can light up the scoreboard on anyone, including the Bucks. You may have been fooled by them by believing they are better defensively, even though Tom Brady and company put up 51 points pretty effortlessly against them. But for the sake of argument, they did hold all others to 19 points per game. But let's look at those teams. It's the Carolina Panthers who have a one-man show on offense, even if he is Superman. The Miami Dolphins are struggling mightily. And now the Andrew Luckless Colts. Now the Bucks aren't offensive juggernauts themselves, but they have offensive weapons. You actually talked about earlier, Chase, the biggest player that went under the radar last week was Doug Martin. He rushed for 100 plus yards and at 5.3 yards of carries. Uh, Jacksonville must stop Tampa's run game if they want to win. And they may have to do it without their best defensive player and Paul uh, Pelesny, who has a high ankle sprain and is probably out this week. You can say what you want about the Bucs, but they aren't scared to push the ball downfield. They will challenge this overrated defense, who has allowed a league high of 50% of third downs to, to be converted against them. I'm taking the Bucks and Jameis Winston to get a home victory. Are you going to be playing this with me? I think I will. I'm always going to go against Jacksonville. That's just the smart thing to do. And also, I really think that Jameis Winston is really a winner, and he will evolve into a solid NFL quarterback. Um, he's always down to fight. He's a great team motivator and he's a gunslinger also. So I think that he will actually turn out to be a solid NFL quarterback and he will lead the Bucks to a better days. Beating Jacksonville is not really a good start, but you got to take your wins where you can get them. 
Yeah, and I I do like his gunslinger attitude. And against this Jacksonville uh, pass defense, there's not much to really worry about. And you have those big wide receivers, Vincent Jackson and Mike Evans. There's there's just not anything to be scared about. That's why I did take him in fantasy. For the same reasons you took Doug Martin. This offense can be well-balanced and click on all cylinders. I definitely think so. Uh, I think that's a smart pick. Uh, you cashed in last week with taking the Bears, and I have faith in you again this week. All right, well, let's go ahead and get to the final period. Final period. Once again, we're going back to college football. Never count out Nick Saban. Everybody thought after the Mississippi game that they were done. Alabama always trips, but when they get up, they get up running full speed. Just ask Georgia. So I think Nick Saban and Alabama will be playing in the playoffs this year. Don't let that one loss fool you. And that'll be all for us, you degenerates. Add us on Twitter, at 4StatsPodcast. That's the number four, never the preposition for, at 4StatsPodcast. And we'll see you again next week. Take care, everybody.